Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get our site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I have the same crew with me this week as I did last week. My name is Brian Vitali, and joining me, I've got Jess Reyes. Again. Adam Vitali. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Min Wu. Hello. So as of this week, we have been, as a site collectively, basically been bulldozing through a ton of Pokemon Legends Arceus work. For me, it's mostly just been uh, playing it myself, as it's been, as I stated last week on the podcast. Uh, For people like James and Andrea, they've been putting out so many guides up on our website for different tips and tricks, how to get certain Pokemon. Obviously, uh, people have been sharing on you know their experiences to their social media channels and to YouTube and to Twitter. So I feel like even though it was kind of a major topic last week, as we talked about James and Jess's time with Pokemon Legends Arceus, it will likely be the, the same this week as we just continue to talk about our experiences with the game. I've now had a chance to play it a bit. Um, and there, there have been a few other releases this week or upcoming releases, uh, but they're under either either under embargo or that we haven't been able to get hands on with them yet. So not able to discuss them here on this podcast. So a little more of the same topics with Pokemon here. And I think it is the sort of game that's worth uh, a couple podcasts in a row. So I'm not you know against that in any way. And I guess that'll, we'll just we'll just kind of start off with that. Um, I, instead of starting off with me talking about my experiences with the game so far, because mine might kind of, uh, since I'm a little bit behind where Jess and James are, because I just recently started in the last week where uh, you two are further along than I am, I'll go ahead and kind of hand it off to, to maybe James, because I know James has been basically our our bedrock i don't know if that's the right word for all the different things that he's noticed in the game uh you know some of the late game things he's been able to achieve and i just don't know like how has your experience or your opinion on the game changed as you got further and further in and once you started reaching like some of the end game goals uh of the experience um so i'll just say this and i think i said this last week uh like the only major issue and not even like a major issue I can say for Legends RTS is that it does lack some of the things that maybe players are familiar with and like big fans of in the older games. And even though this is a mainline title, there are aspects of it that do make it feel like a bit of a spinoff in the sense that there's less trainer battles. There's no like multiplayer battling. There's less like caves, even though everything's like way more open and there is exploration. There's like one cave in the entire game. Maybe two if you count one that's like a hallway. And it definitely feels like as great as Arceus is. And I and I really do like enjoy it quite a bit. It's probably my favorite Pokemon game since the DS. You can very clearly tell that in many ways this was a kind of best way to put it, a prototype for what's to come. Like kind of like a testing ground, if you will. And there's gonna be a lot of people that even if they enjoy what the game does. They're going to notice all those little things where it's like, yeah, this is not fully baked yet. There's many things from older games that maybe they like that just aren't represented. And I can't really blame them for maybe being disappointed in the game from that aspect. But for me, it it's definitely my favorite Pokemon game in quite a while. Yeah, I'd and have Je- to agree with like, I, oh, sorry, I was just going to continue on. Um, but yeah, I also agree that it's 
Honestly, one of my most favorite in a long... It's one of my favorites in a long time. But mostly because it does kind of... um, The catch them all aspect is still there, of course. It's a, it's a little bit different from what players are used to. But I actually kind of like that. It's kind of... um, To me, it's kind of like a history of sorts. Because, like, for example, I guess people wouldn't really be expected to have as many trainer battles because people are kind of afraid of Pokemon back in the day. But it's kind of like a, a lore, if you will, that kind, that kind of, um, it gave me that kind of feel like this is the lore of like uh, the Diamond and Pearl games of later on. Um, but yeah, I, I think the biggest issues that I've seen people complain about in general are the graphic stuff, which I get. Um, like, there's some Pokemon, they kind of, like, glitch in and out of the ground, or, like, flying Machop, okay. Um, no, I haven't but, seen that. Uh, you might, eventually. <laughs> like, uh, but I don't think it's too, like, I, it doesn't take away from my enjoyment of the game too much. Like, it kind of makes it hard to aim Pokeballs if, your po- if the Pokemons are glitching in and out of the ground, but otherwise, like, for the most part, honestly, I didn't even realize that that was a problem until later on in the game. And then the other thing that people complain about is the side quests. Um, just because some, I think they specifically complain about the ones that are kind of kind of bugged or RNG based, which I understand. But for the most part, I'm happy with them because many of the side quests um, have to do with stuff that you would naturally do if you want to complete the Pokedex. Like, oh, I want to see a Roselia. Please give, like a please catch one and let me look at it. That makes sense to me as a side quest because it's like, well, the player's gonna do that anyway. It's not. Like, sure, people could say it's, like, a fetch quest, but uh, I don't think it's, like, too much of a... It's not too out of the player's way. Um, some of the ones that are difficult that people still ask questions about and people write guides about is, the, for example, the Big Weasel quest. Um, and that one has to do with, like, you basically need to keep catching Weasel until you get one that's big enough for this guy to approve of, so... Um, maybe later. Seen, I haven't played the game, but I've seen people talking about, I, like, I can't find the big weasel. And it's like, I, without context, kind of funny. I would say one thing about that quest that is kind of poorly designed is that you can actually see the dude's weasel next to him. And it's like, okay, so here's a benchmark for a weasel that needs to be bigger than that. And then you go out into the wild and you catch a weasel that is very clearly bigger, but the size of the person's weasel in the village and the size that it's actually supposed to be aren't quite the same and just confuses people and it's like super strict. It's like, I don't know. Okay. You know, that does make sense to me that that would be a problem because I caught an alpha Magikarp, right? <laughs> and then I evolved into an alpha Gyarados. But um, apparently the alpha Gyarados is supposedly shorter than my regular Gyarados. Which, you know, obviously doesn't make sense. But if you put them next to each other in real life, like uh, outside of the Pokeballs, the Alpha Gyarados is obviously bigger looking. So that doesn't really make sense to me. Either. So it seems so it seems like the whatever randomized height or size number that it's attached to them isn't actually reflected in their model or something like that. Yeah, I guess. And what I was going to say, like when you're talking about the side quest, so I am about eight hours into the game. I am like in the second region. Uh, I've just got the Ursulana and I have been this. This is the sort of game I, I, I've mentioned on the podcast several times. And there are a few different contexts where I like games that sort of shut up and just let you play. And this game does have a pretty strong story and there are still a decent number of cutscenes. Uh, and some, some of it is a little bit of inane like chatter. Or a little bit too tutorialized, I think, because you know there's still games for children. But 
uh, I am just kind of enjoying like, all right, now if I don't want to do the next main task or whatever it's called, I can just roam around and see what's available and then go back out at night and see if I can find any of the wisps or see uh, what Pokemon, what ghost type Pokemon appear at night or whatever. And I kind of really do agree that the side quests are, they're on paper, on paper, there's nothing too exciting about them. It's like you said, I want to see this Pokemon or I want to see this Dex entry. Um, some of them are a little bit more like, hey, if you go to this beach at night, I want you to see what's going on with the Drifloon there. Or I saw I saw a wisp in a tree and it ends up being like a starter from another region. Like, oh, that side quest was how I got access to another region starter. Um, and I do think that you're right when you say it's just stuff that you'll be engaging with anyways, where if someone's asking for, I want you to show me a, a Hippodon or, or Hippotus, you might already even have it. And like, here, I'll show you it. Or you might already ha even have the dex entry for a certain Pokemon that someone wants to see. And like, all right, I'll show it to you. Or um, there's a lot of, there's been a few side quests where they're looking for a certain number of items and you might already have them. And if you don't have them, it's usually not too onerous to go get them. It's I've never really run into anything where it's like, ah, oh, this is going to be such a grind to, to, to fulfill this for an item I don't need. Maybe that occurs later on if the complexity goes up a bit. But uh, so far, I ha I've had really no issue with the side quests. If I don't think they're interesting or I don't like the reward, I, I just don't do them. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I'll just go back later and be like, oh, I, I happen to fight a few more of, the, of that Pokemon now. And, and now I have a complete Pokedex entry. So I'll show it to you. One thing that has been a bit of an adjustment for me is that normally when I played the the classic Pokemon games, I usually didn't I didn't do much of like catching several different versions of the same Pokemon to get a good nature or uh, I would usually kind of like decide out my team and then not even really bother catching Pokemon that I wasn't interested in because completing the Pokedex. The, the sort of reward that you get for it was usually like an in-game like certificate or something. And I was like, I don't need that. Uh, or a trainer card that with a different number of stars on it. But here it's been really kind of interesting where it's like you are super incentivized to catch three, four, five, six of the same Pokemon or or continually continue to battle them. I remember when I first looked at the Pokedex entries in Arceus, and it's like, how many have you battled? One, two, four, seven, ten, twenty. I'm like, am I expected to actually battle 20 of these? Uh, the answer is no, because usually you can fill out the Pokedex pretty easily without capping out all the different records you can get. But just it was just a bit, a bit of a kind of like a mindset adjustment where it's like you are going to catch tons of extras. You are going to battle wild Pokemon way more than trainer Pokemon, which is almost like flipped on its head from my experience in the other games. Um, and I kind of actually like that, too, where when, you, when I run into a trainer battle where a trainer has multiple Pokemon, it almost actually feels a little bit more like an event rather than just like knocking out trainers on a certain route. And like, oh, better, better clear them all out before they, you know, before they spot me. So I've actually been kind of enjoying the ways that it's making me like rethink what I kind of expected or anticipated out of a Pokemon game. Um, so I haven't played this yet. Why are you incentivized to catch like more than one of the same type? Because when you go to a Pokedex entry, there usually be like six or eight different tasks that basically fill out your record of that Pokemon. The first two that are very common are how many have you defeated or how many have you caught? So in irrespective of anything else, if you catch or defeat, at least in my experience so far, a certain number of Gastlys. And as, as long as you do that enough, you will fill out the Pokedex entry for Gastly. Now, there might also be some ob alternate objectives like seen Gastly use hypnosis or defeated with a ghost type move or whatever, where, where you oh, can okay. like, instead of catching eight or nine of them, you can catch two, but then do some of the other uh, objectives instead that are a little bit more written out to fill out their Pokedex entry too. Um, so 
And then usually there's also like a bonus that you get if you capture a male and a female of the same species. So you're at least incentivized to do that. Um, so okay. that, that's basically how it is. I thought at first I, I almost had like a, like almost like an eye roll when I'm like, am I going to have to, am I going to be expected to catch 20 ghastlies before I get my Pokedex rank maxed? And it's like, no, you don't have to. It's, it's usually well less than that to, to get the Pokedex filled up. You, you couldn't still do that to knock that off the record. But as far as I can tell, there's no incentive to fully filling out as, as long as you get enough points to cap out the, the entry. And I guess it is really kind of interesting where I, I was revisiting some areas in the very first region again near where you fight the cleavor boss from the um from the trailers and there was like a little path that i hadn't gone on before and all of a sudden i saw scythers at the end of the grove and i thought that was actually pretty cool where it's something where i every pokemon game that i've played has not had roaming pokemon like let's go or wild areas for, so like the equivalent of that feeling in a classic game is a specific patch of grass that might be shaped in a rectangle where that's where scythers are found or whatever. But no, and here it's like you, you see them from a distance and you're like, oh shit, scythers. And it's it's yeah. part of that where I'm actually kind of like, uh, I feel this is going to sound super corny, but like I feel like a kid again <laughs> or whatever. And it's it sounds like uh, James is kind of right where this is like this is like the the framework this is the this is the the rubric that other games can be built to even if it might not be fully featured it's calling it a beta is a little bit too much but it does sort of feel like all right the framework's in place we're going to test it out we're going to see the response we're going to uh and we're, we'll iterate from here and that's where i think this is kind of exciting is uh where you could go from this now i haven't completed the story i haven't really seen how that uh how that tracks i do think some of the crafting is a little bit too much. Like I've used a few like food items or stun items, but I haven't, maybe I'm not far enough in the game, but I haven't found them that useful. I've been crafting a lot of potions and pokeballs, but not like food or stunning items or, or things like that. And you just kind of keep unlocking recipes and I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't know if I need any of this, but maybe I just haven't been inventive enough to figure out how it really helps or something like that. Hmm, I guess like when it comes to stun items, um, I noticed recently, like, I would, my favorite is the smoke ball, because then he could sneak up on um, bigger Pokemon and kind of catch them without even engaging with them. But you could also technically stun them. And I was like, oh, you know, that might be a better idea sometimes. So I don't need to keep, because, for example, the smoke ball, um, the item, like the plants for it don't pop up as often as the other ones for the stunning. So, um, but then again, you know, I kind of wish that uh, certain things didn't cost so much money, like the recipes, or that guy who keeps asking, "Do you want to pay like, like twenty thousand, yeah, pokey for another space in your bag?" And I'm like, "It'd be nice if I could use the money to like, you know, experiment with my clothes, or you know, buy those super expensive recipes, or like, you know, kind of like that." Yes, yeah, so, so I actually do think the uh, the economy in this game is pretty interesting. There are three things to really spend money on: items or recipes. I'm counting that as one thing. Fashion. So, like, if you wanted to, you could really spend a ton of money on clearing out the fashion shop. Or, um, uh, what's what's the last one? Oh, yeah, the the item things like you mentioned, where the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, where I kept thinking that. First of all, he's like, give me 500. What, what, I don't know what it is in the, in the Pokemon universe. Is any? Give me 500 gold and I'll fill up by one slot. Oh, give me 1,000. I'm like, all right, I'll just keep going through this. And eventually it's like, give me 5,000. I'm like, all right, it's got to it's gotta end sometime soon, right? 
and uh, nope, it just Goes keeps high. going and going. Yeah. And so that's like the biggest money sink. But there's actually been times where I'm only in the second region where it's like, you can't pick up this item because your satchel's full. Um, so you do end up with a lot of different materials. And unfortunately, I'm in a place where I'm not using a lot of them because uh, all the different like types of tumblestone to make different sorts of pokeballs like i got sky tumble stones which make the, the feather balls or something like that I'm like i'm not using these but i i guess i picked one up somewhere so now it's sitting in a spot in my satchel and, until i drop it off uh yeah. so inventory you management know. is i kind of like it in practice but here i just wish the items that you made out of the materials were a little bit more useful gotcha. that's kind of where i'm at it, you know i feel like i don't really use the heavy balls or feather balls much either i'm kind of because first off, the heavy balls, you kind of need to be really, really near to Pokemon to use them effectively, which I find annoying. And then the feather balls, I'm just kind of like, I've never been in a situation where I used one and I was like, wow, that was so much better than regular Great Ball. So I personally don't use them. Yeah, I've been using just regular Pokeballs and Great Balls, and uh, those ones are pretty easy to get the materials for. So it's like, all right, I'm, I'm fine with this. So have you uh, talk about like uh, like resource management and crafting and stuff in a Pokemon game sounds <laughs> wild to me. I mean, I, I like that, that you can craft it. Yeah, and I wish there was maybe, or maybe I just haven't run into a situation yet, or I haven't been like I haven't been like taking the initiative to try things out. But a lot of like the food lures, uh, where it's like you can give someone dazzling honey or whatever, I haven't really found a reason to use those much. Unless you really want to get like the backstrike with throwing a Pokeball, I guess. Maybe I'm just impatient. Usually I'm just kind of like, all right, I'll just throw a Pokeball. And if it doesn't go in, I'll just throw a second one or I'll, or I'll battle them and then use false swipe and then get it. Rather than like crafting and preparing a lure and going in and using that or 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 even like a smoke ball. I don't think I've got the smoke ball recipe yet. Maybe I do. Uh, you know, I did use the lures for, um, for, for skittish Pokemon. Like, for example, I could not get close enough to Eevee. Like I chased it away twice before I found oh, it a third I, time and learned it did, with the I did honey see an Eevee. Maybe, maybe that's a good point because I you mentioned last week that you saw an Eevee, but it ran away. And yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe that's a good point because like here I am saying like oh I haven't found a I haven't found a reason to use a lure, but also that Eevee ran away and I was hoping to find it again and I haven't. So no, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, and there might be others that I learned once I'm once I'm starting to look for more of the rare Pokemon. Uh, that's one thing that that might be interesting kind of like i've gone through the first region i was reasonably thorough i think but then I, I can't i'm imagining like once i'm at a point where i'm filling out the pokedex and it's oh you can catch those there i never saw one because i didn't go to the right place at the right time or use the right tools or whatever or maybe i had to return once i had like swimming capability or something like that uh or like it was a shaking tree and i always just came i always just seem to get burmies on those i'm like all right that's boring but maybe there's something really cool on those i can get uh, speaking of, I still have yet to find a uh, female combi. I even went to like a combi breakout event and I couldn't find one. And I think you need a female one to evolve it. So that was that's another one that's kind of on my like white whale list where I'm like, why are all these combis guys? I don't want these. Uh, and I, I'm sure there'll be other breakout events in the other maps. So I do think it's kind of cool that they have a little bit, uh, a pretty good sense of variety and how certain Pokemons are found, some at night, some at day. There are, there seems like, there are some weather effects like with fog or rain. And I don't know if that affects which Pokemon appear and if that's random or if that's just for just for flavor. Like, ah, oh, it's raining today. Um, in the post game, there is some legendary Pokemon that can only spawn in a location if a certain weather effect is going on. 
Okay, I'm not. I'm not surprised. I was actually kind of looking around. I think I was in the first area, but it was super foggy, and I was like, "Is this just the time of day, or is this like something a new Pokemon's around?" And I couldn't quite find anything. So I'm like, "All right, maybe that'll come into play later." Yeah, I think it has to do with um, I cer- like uh, I think it matters for certain Pokemon just because if you look in the Pokedex. Like, when I was looking at a finished Pokedex entry for Buizel, for example, I was looking, okay, there's, like, indications for it can spawn during, you know, nighttime, daytime, etc. But there's also, um, like, these little icons for different, I guess, weather. So it's like, okay, it will appear when it's raining, or sunny, or cloudy. And then I was like, well, I guess those are there, assuming that some Pokemon don't appear during a certain weather, so... I guess I should do that. I should pull up the Pokedex and like see. I saw like the region that certain Pokemon appear in. I think I was looking for a Ponytas uh, early on to get that. But then like, oh yeah, I guess it does that. I'm I'm I'm, look, I'm pulling up my game right now. It does have all the weathers listed. It's just that for most of the Pokemon that I've met so far, it just lists all of them. So I think gotcha. I, I must it must just be later in the game. Aha, Ponyta does not show up when it's uh, raining or snowing. Today I learned. So that makes sense, that, I guess. That makes sense. <laughs> All right. So I'm guessing once I get further into the like the third and fourth regions of the game, like some of the spawn conditions will get a little bit more uh, intricate. Yeah, I think so. Oh, I mean, like, in addition to that, when we were talking about... um, It is kind of interesting to revisit old regions. And, for example, it was a lot easier to farm Magikarp when I had Basque Legion. So I went back to Obsidian Fieldlands to the first place. And was able to jump into water because now I had a ride. Um, I assume, like, I'm going to go back soon and try that with Sneasel, too. So, I was trying to, like, fully fill out the first map before I went to the second. But there, I think there's just some areas you can't get to without Basque Legion, which I think is pretty cool. Maybe, maybe you can get to them, but it's a lot more convenient once you have the additional traversal me- um, mechanic. And it reminds me of that old Dragon Age Origins, or not Dragon Age Origins, Dragon Age Inquisition, where it's like, leave the hinterlands, leave the first zone, just like push the story and you'll actually enjoy yourself more than trying to like exhaust the whole first area before you move on to the second. So I'm trying to like uh, have that sort of mindset. And I think the game encourages it too, because like there's, there's been a few Twitter videos I've seen of this where there's, an, there's a region in the first area where it's like, Here's a level 40 Alpha Snorlax. So we'll watch watch your back <laughs> or whatever. So like, all right, I will I will come back there later. Uh, and I oh, think yeah, it's an. I, that I, guy. I think there. I have. I'm, I'm not high enough level yet. I don't think. Um, I'm not really sure. Like, if I have a Great Ball and I back attack it, does it matter what level I'm at? Or if it's Alpha, I probably have to fight it. I'm not actually sure. I haven't tried. Um, but I do think that the game does kind of encourage you to be like. All right, the the there it's not like all of the Pokemon in the second region are a higher level than all the Pokemon in the first region. They kind of have like a crossover. Or once you're at around level 20 or so, you can move on to the second region and be around the same uh around the same level as your as the Pokemon there. And then you can go back to the first area and go to like some of these places that have level 30 Pokemon or even level 40 alphas. Uh, I've only ever yeah, caught one yeah. alpha yet. It was a a, a large Cricketot or Cricketoon, whatever the evolved version is. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, um, uh, was that the boss fight? No, I think I fought one. Yes, you did fight it as a boss fight, but I, I think I caught one. Did I just catch that? It might have just been that one. And I remember like I was walking by my pasture in the town and there's just this giant cricket tot uh just floating around there. So I thought that was just kind of a fun little attention to detail. Uh I haven't caught that any. That just other reminds me. That just reminds me of like I was in the po- when I was doing guides last night. 
walked past my pasture and I saw Arceus just standing there and it's like, oh, this is a very funny mental image. Oh, do you like, have hi the God, how are you doing today? <laughs> do, you have, do you have the Pokedex complete? Um, I have caught every Pokemon. I have not completed every Pokedex entry. Oh, is there an incentive to do that? Or do you not know yet? It gets you the shiny charm. Oh, okay. Oh. And Does I assume I shiny? That's what I was going to assume. It does, but honestly, the shiny charm isn't as useful in this game as it was in previous ones because the main method of grinding out shiny Pokemon, like the shiny charm doesn't actually make that much of a difference compared to the just like base modifier you get from uh, grinding out mass outbreaks. All right. Uh, there, there was an early quest. Uh, this is this is a this is an early quest, so it's not really much of a spoiler. Where uh, it gets you a shiny ponyta, but the nature that I got was like really bad. I'm like, oh, oh well, I'll just use my regular ponyta because uh, I think ponyta is a physical attacker, and I got my shiny ponyta that you get as part of this quest is kind of like a freebie. Had lowering attack nature. I'm like, Darren, do I reset or do I just not bother? And I just said, ah, don't bother. I'll use my regular ponyta. Red's better, anyways. Gotcha. I feel like I always fight it with myself. Like, honestly, this game kind of enabled me to be like a perfectionist in that regard because I'm like, I need to catch like maybe like a, you know, six catching six weasels will help me fill out my Pokedex entry anyway. I'll just pick out the one with the best nature and get going. <laughs> I, yeah, I've actually did that with, uh, I was in the, the, at night on the first area, you catch the drift blims or drift loons. And I was, yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually like looked up. I, if you look at my search history, I'm like looking up like which Pokemon are, is it a physical attacker or a special attacker? Because I don't really know like what its stats like align it for. And does the nature match? And I think a uh, weasel is another one where it's, it's, if I, I don't quote me on this, but I think it has a higher attack than special attack. So I'm like, all right, I yeah. better get one that I better get one that has a nature for it. And I caught like six. And the only one that I had that was decent one, that one was one that like, lower defense and increase speed i'm like good enough as long as it doesn't like lower the the attack nature that i want so yeah i have been a little bit more diligent in that area than i normally would be and kind of goes back to like what i said earlier where normally i just kind of catch one and move on because i'm only really curious about completing the main story which is i guess the same true is true here but i you know you're, you're encouraged to catch three or four anyway so might as well look through them see which one has the nature that is best suited and pick that one i have learned that uh my team right now is pretty imbalanced because uh, I have like three flying types. I have the starter. I picked uh, Rowlet, and I got Yay. a star. I got a Starly, Staravia, and um, I also have a Driftblim, which I believe is Ghost Flying. And I, I, I was fighting something that like all of these guys are weak to rock. Oh, they're all flying shit <laughs> or, or whatever. And so I'm like, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like sort out my team a little bit so I don't have quite as big a deficiency there. Uh, so I'm actually, I'm having a good time because normally I just kind of like pick two or three Pokemon and just bulldoze through, but here I'm actually kind of going over everything that I caught on my excursions, figuring out like what would make a pretty decent, what, what has good type coverage. Um, the game isn't challenging, but that's, but it, it's not challenging, but I still feel like more engaged than I normally would. I feel like I'm sweeping less often and maybe, maybe I'm just fighting Pokemon that are too high a level, but uh healing up is usually pretty free uh pretty easy and almost after every trainer battle that immediately they immediately heal up all your pokemon so i am finding myself a bit more engaged than i remember being when i played through like regular platinum or whatever and the nice thing is is that 
if you're if you're looking to have more of a challenge, you can just push through the map until you know, don't grind up at all and just just keep pushing until the Pokemon level are at your level or higher in the wild, and you'll 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 have just a little bit more more of a more of the intended experience, I guess, rather than just sweeping through everything. Or at least I am. You know, I hate to backtrack on this, but like, I actually think Cyndaquil was not a good starter to pick. Like when I was playing through Obsidian Fieldlands, the Buizels are water type, the Bidoof typically have rollout, and it was such a annoying experience because I'm like, mm -hmm. they keep KOing my Cyndaquil. I was like, you know, maybe I should have thought this through. <laughs> no, you made the poor choice. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, what about other alternative Pokemon? You could have used some other ones. It doesn't have to be Cyndaquil. I mean, I know, but like I just felt emotionally attached to it because it was my starter. But there is a, I think when I was playing Pokemon Red back in the day, I beat the entire game with just Charizard alone because all you need is fire. <laughs> you don't need anything else. Well, that's that's, that's one thing that that I feel <laughs> like. Uh, I think I feel like we all did that, or I did that with like Pokemon Gold back in the day, just use my starter. But now it's like I. I actually value like the team building aspect to it. And it sounds silly. Like, of course that's what you do in Pokemon or whatever, but I'm actually trying to like, in instead of just focusing on out leveling the opponent and just brute forcing it by having my, uh, my Rowlet, whatever it evolves into, I forget what the middle form is called, have like a flying move, a steel move, a grass move and whatever else it can learn. Uh, I'm actually just trying to at least have the coverage over over a whole team. It's just that right now that's three flying types. I'm like, I'm probably going to dump the Staravia because right now I kind of have that classic Sinnoh team where I have a Weasel, a Staravia and a Luxray. And I'm like, all right, uh, I need to like change this up a bit. And now that I'm in the second area, I'm probably going to like throw in maybe a Toxicroak uh, or just just something that I've never used before. Something that's not so like Sinnoh basic bitch. <laughs> Sorry for my language, but uh, that's I felt kind of like that in the first region. And hey, it at least makes it kind of feel like it's the same like geography to have those Pokemon there present in the early game. But trying not to get too attached, I'm like, all right, Staravia, I'm going to bench you. and Or maybe I'll let it evolve first, and then I'll bench you and put in uh, a Hippowdon or something like that. Or maybe I'll use the, uh, the extra starters that I found as you get through the game and you get the other region starters. I guess the only thing you know we're really not talking about much is and maybe there really isn't much to talk about here but the story right now where i'm at the story is basically you've got the the galaxy team kind of serving as like intermediaries between clan diamond and clan clan pearl that's actually hard to say clan pearl and it seems like very wishy-washy like everyone's chummy and bros and friends in one moment and then they're like we hate that clan diamond we don't want to partner with them and the next breath and I sort of get what they're doing. It's basically that they both, um, one of them, I forget which is which, they believe that the Lord Sinnoh is the, the Lord of time, and the other one believes it's the Lord of space. Uh, speak, it's kind of referencing, uh, being referential to Palkia and Dialga uh, in, a, in an indirect way before they knew much about them. Uh, but I, I, feel, I feel like it's, it's fine. I'm not really engaged with it at all. I, I don't think I was really ever expecting to be, so I'm not disappointed. Uh, but... Just wondering if you had any other thoughts on uh, the story, Jess. Oh, I mean, I think it flows pretty reasonably. And I think, you know, I feel like the most interesting part is that it's an isekai. But otherwise, <laughs> it's, um, I mean, I guess it's nice that it's not just like, you know, a crime syndicate takes is trying to take over the region or anything like that. And it's kind of like um, 
creating peace between clans, creating peace with Pokemon. And that's interesting, but it's a children's game, so it's not going to be as emotionally evocative as, like, you know, some other JRPG made by Square Enix or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's suited for what it is. It's fine. I don't think I really expected anything more or really even need anything more. In fact, if it, if it was a little bit quieter, I think I would have enjoyed it more. Uh, but I'm I'm still pretty early, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, like I have, I haven't rolled credits yet, so um, I haven't seen the complete ending. But so far, I feel like that I'm satisfied with it. But the highlight for me is the gameplay. Mm-hmm. James, you have any other final thoughts on uh, Arceus for this week? Um. Nothing really, because the stuff I would want to talk about is more like spoiler stuff from like the uh, post game and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I just hope that uh, going forward, the games are more like this. So, you know, it would be interesting to have, a, for example, a modern version where Pokemon can actually hurt you. Imagine that. I, I feel like um, I don't know how it work really because pokemon are like your friends in the future but i wonder so as james and jess and now i have been going through this game i have not contributed to these but james has a ton uh we've got a ton of guides up on rpgsite.net about how to evolve specific pokemon if you're looking to fill out your pokedex or hunt for shinies the method that james alluded to earlier uh that's all up on the site uh, and hopefully it'll end up helping you out. And uh, I have already looked up a few things, even though I'm also looking up just kind of like the Bulbapedia pages for natures at this point. But as soon as I start looking at like holes in my Pokedex, I'm very certain that I will be referencing those. So thank you so much, James, and also Andrea and Alex, who have also been uh, assisting on those because we have a ton of work up on the site for that. I, so yeah. I honest actually don't know if Andrea has done any Pokemon guides yet. <laughs> Uh, oh, it's, maybe most, she's... it's definitely mostly been um, Alex and myself. Like, Actually, maybe Andrea's been doing uh, just the Genshin guides. I know she's been working Genshin on some still. other stuff. Yeah. So, well, that does make sense considering the uh, two point five update. She might be busy with it, looking mm-hmm. up stuff for that. And more on that uh, that later. So that's what uh, the three of us have been playing this week. Last week we kind of took a tangent and talked about Adam playing a little bit of Star Ocean. Uh, have you? finished what you were doing or is that pretty much where you were did you i don't know where did you leave off on that game yeah so the last week i mostly was doing like post game sort of stuff which i mentioned star ocean games have pretty extensive post games uh post game dungeons post game bosses they get kind of nuts and crazy in terms of like stat inflation or what have you um so i was doing that and i just finished so maybe i'll start arceus or arceus however you pronounce it next week we'll see there's a lot of games coming out in the next few months. Uh, yeah, we have oh, uh, we have yeah. we have we have Kingdom Hearts for Switch coming out uh, in a week. Yeah, Maybe I'm totally gonna play that. I still need to play my PC versions of those at some point. You know, do you think they're gonna improve the cloud version of it? I don't know. I heard drama about it not being as um, optimized as people hoped. <laughs> they cared about how it performed on Switch. They wouldn't have done a cloud version. Mm. This is Square Enix you're talking about. You're giving them too much credit. <laughs> The uh, the demo that came out, I the thing is that I don't know how cherry picked it was because I didn't play it myself, but I know I saw people sharing like some really bad lag and stutter and just not a good experience all around for those. Maybe the full release will be better, but uh, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of optimism. 
and then uh chow i believe the games that you've been playing this week you can't talk about until next week Is, am i correct on that no no probably at least two months from now well not two oh. months a month and a half oh, okay well, we will move on from a slightly abbreviated games talk section uh, as we just re, you know, as we just work our way through Pokemon Arceus and uh, go through our experience on that. Maybe we'll round out with one more quick talk, and maybe not, ne- maybe not necessarily next week, but uh, as we get the the crew together, maybe I'll, I'll finish through it and Adam will start it, and uh, we'll kind of see what our final thoughts on are on that. Maybe halfway through the month, and we'll go into the news section. Now, news this week, uh, we did have a very surprising, unexpected kind of headliner here. And that is, is that Square Enix announced another game that is releasing in about two weeks. And that is Voice of Cards, The Forsaken Maiden, which we did not know anything about this. And obviously, just a few months ago, we got Voice of Cards, The Isle Dragon Roars. So little did we know that this is going to be some sort of like, is it a series? Is it a... uh, are they just kind of like parallel games? Adam, what do we know about Voice of Cards and this new this new entry in this now series? Yeah, so like no one expected this, at least not so soon. Like maybe in, you know, maybe you could say they'd make a sequel in a few years or something, but not like literally in three months later. Um, but they Square Enix says that this new game, The Forsaken Maiden, is uh, a standalone story. And we don't know a whole lot about it. There are some character designs in the game that might indicate it might be something like a prequel or a side story, um, but it is not, based on their wording, it doesn't seem to be like a sequel where it's like you have to play the first game first. You can play either of the games in either order. Um, so now I played the original, the Isle Dragon Roars, and like I think the everything about like its presentation is cool in terms of the art, the aesthetic, the music, the way it uses a uh, like a dungeon master like to narrate kind of everything from like this, like characters don't have voices in these games. You have like a narrator reading it like an audio book um, sort of thing. And um, so I think everything about its presentation is cool, but I thought like as like a role-playing game, it's a little bit simple. It's a little bit easy, kind of straightforward. So like didn't really scratch that sort of like RPG itch for me, but you know, it's a more casual game. Perhaps it's the first game wasn't too long. It's like, 12 hours if you're doing everything so i'll probably check out the second game you know pretty short for the genre and kind of curious to see like how it might connect to the other game because i'm sure it connects in some way and it just it's just an interesting you know thing to exist like a sequel following up three months later like when has that ever happened before i know it's not a sequel but a, a second game um so yeah, it's coming way, out in like I, two weeks or less than two yeah, weeks. Yeah, I don't think I gave it, or if I did, I stated it really quickly. This uh, Voice of Cards, The Forsaken Maiden, is releasing on February 17th for PlayStation 4, mm-hmm. Switch, and PC. And so when you were playing <laughs> the Isle Dragon Roars, uh, did, was there any part of the story that felt like it could be continued on? Or like, an, like what did, was there no, an obvious place I mean, that this could fit in? No, I mean, there are some things where it's like, this character's background wasn't like fully and thoroughly like dotted like in every possible feasible way where it's like explained everything about them. So it's like you could feasibly expand on that, but there wasn't any like lingering plot threads or anything in that game. So it wasn't clear, or obvious that like, oh, there's going to be a follow up. No, not at all. But there are things 
like this is a very very minor spoiler but there's um a character in the first game named melanie who is from like a mage clan of some sort i forget the specific wording wording of it and they they wear a very unique outfit it's like this black like buckles and like pins on uh, like outfits and there's like two characters in the new art for the new game that have that same outfit but it's like oh so they they seem to be from the same group uh and some of the characters look similar to the characters in the first game. So it's like, is it the same character or is there something weird going on? Um, so like that seems to be like something that might be the connection between the two. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, it's not like there was like a cliffhanger or anything like that. I do like how for both the Owl Dragon Roar- Roars and the Forsaken Maiden, like immediately in the press release, they're like, by the way, do you like near? We've got near DLC. I'm just a little bit cynical yeah. on that, where it's just like near is popular, right? Please buy our game. Here's near stuff. <laughs> uh, maybe I shouldn't be so cynical on that, but it's it just that cosmetics. In, it's it's like, cosmetics. Rather than in, using the standard card design, what if you use a card design that looks like an automata or your hot thing? Yeah, sure. but it, it's it's in like the third paragraph of the announcement press release. It's like, by the way, near DLC. Yeah. And I'm just like, come on. I'm, I'm rolling my eyes at that a little bit, but uh, I get it. I get it. But uh, I guess this will be another one for February. So we'll not, not might not be too long. It obviously depends on uh, who gets a chance to play it, but it might not be too long before we follow up on this and see uh, how we think about it. One thing that I skipped over that I didn't mean to is that uh, aside from the Pokemon Arceus guide features up on the site, we do also have a, uh, a new preview. And that is something that uh, Andrea did for us. And that is a preview of Ghostwire Tokyo. And I think this is the first time that we have mentioned that game on this podcast because it's ostensibly not an RPG. But we got a we got an invite to have uh, one of our staff members kind of get a, a hands-off preview for the game. And obviously we accepted because we wanted to see, like, is there anything here we thought RPG fans would be interested in? Uh, things like that. And sort of, as everyone who follows the sites know, we kind of cast a wide net. And even even with that stated, we often t- take the chance to talk about games we've been playing. Like, hey, we had, we had a couple podcasts last week or last year where we are talking about the Halo release. Um, so we obviously don't live in a bubble here. Um, Andrea was able to get the hands-off preview on Ghostwire Tokyo and wrote up basically her impressions on it with some sort of like, how much intrigue does it have for fans of RPGs? Or is this just uh, a shooter or, or an immersive sim? Or what is this game if you weren't familiar with it? So we do have that preview up on the site. It's Ghostwire Tokyo weaves delightfully stylish combat with a haunting vision of its modern cityscape. So... That preview is up on the site if you're interested. In a nutshell, it seems like it's mostly a first-person action-adventure sim sort of game with a little bit of like skill customization, which is you know where any small RPG DNA might fit in. But otherwise, it's pretty much just action-adventure, first-person yeah, sort well, of game. So, sometimes, sometimes you go into those previews and you're like, maybe we should cover this? Oh, maybe not. But Yeah, maybe, I mean, we, we, ha- we were invited. Literally, we were invited, and I replied, like, uh, well, this game wasn't really on our radar because it's, it, it wasn't described as an RPG. It, like, that's not what they called it when they announced it. And they're like, oh, you know, you never know. So we're like, sure, I guess we'll, we'll do it. And we did. And, you know, just to see what we, you know, what, what they were showing. Take the opportunity. And, and for those interested, uh, that game comes out uh, at the end of March. Another March game. I don't think people expected it so soon, especially after not hearing anything about it for quite a while. 
All right, for the next topic, did anyone play the PlayStation 1 RPG Shadow Madness? I've seen it's covered <laughs> on those games. I only know two things about Shadow, Mad- or Shadow Madness. One, it was like designed by Ted Woolsey, the same one who did like SNES era localizations for like uh, Secret of Mana. But uh, so he's on it. And two, it's apparently really bad. It was like it came after Final Fantasy VII in the wake of that popularity. And like, we can do that. And apparently it's just not good at all. And I have no idea why this company, I looked into it. Like the publisher is like Pico Interactive. And they're like, they just acquired like a different company to try to like re-release old, old like classic retro games. And this was one they were able to get, I guess, rights for. So I guess... It almost feels like literally scraping the bottom of the barrel, just like here we yes, can re-release yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Lead, so the, uh, the lead-in that you're alluding to that I never quite actually said is that Shadow Madness will be releasing for Steam on February 15th, and it was obviously released on Position One back in 1999 and 2000. Uh, when you said that it had a terrible score, I'm I'm trying to look up like the old like, let's see, GameSpot gave it a 4.3 out of 10, IGN gave it a seven, yeah. <laughs> so. Seven back then was really bad. Yeah, Uh, I do think like I don't want to just say like by the way the terrible game Shadow Madness is going to be on Steam in two weeks. Uh, I do think that this is still a win. I still think that bad games should be accessible. Just yeah, because it might not be objectively bad. There might be like a single component of this game that is really quite interesting, uh, even if the rest of this is terrible. Now there's an argument to be made. Like, is this actually a port, or is it literally just like an emulated version that you could do with, you know, like an, an emulator on your own? Yeah, and it's just like, eh, I don't honestly, I don't care that much. It's just like if they if they're, they have the official license to sell it, and this is how they want to sell it modern day. Like, I don't think people are clamoring for an HD remaster of Shadow Madness. So, and they probably don't have the budget to do that. They're just going to release it as cheaply as they can, and it's it's available if you really want to experience it. This is an easy way to do it. Sure. Okay. Next topic is Just something alluded to earlier, and that is we got a new trailer for the Genshin Impact version 2.5 release, which is coming out the, the day after Shadow Madness on February 16th. I might hand this off to Jess or also Chow, who also is in the know of the Genshin Impact updates. Uh, this adds a new five-star character, Yay Miko, who has been in the story but not playable yet. Some new story quests for Shogun and some new events in the Inkonomiya region. So, Jess, what are you looking forward to in Genshin Impact 2.5? We, um, lots, me and lots of my friends are going to roll for Yai, just because, like, I have a lot of five-star... I keep getting five-star catalysts, and I don't have any good catalyst characters, so I'm like, ah, oh, maybe she's the one. <laughs> but also, uh, I'm also interested in some of the new events, like, um... There is one about the new region. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce this. I think it's uh Enkanomia where there's a um I guess you kind of get you get rewards for exploring the new area and there's also for some reason um they they described as corrosive effects uh inside the area which I'm assuming means that you, your character will take damage longer there in this particular space for some reason. So maybe there's a story behind that. Um, but there's also kind of a bunch of other events, like a, one that's like a dungeon building challenge where you can build your own dungeon for your friends to tackle. So long as you can also beat your own dungeon, 
And then another one where the traveler mixes drinks at Angel Share, which is the bar in Mondstadt. But because they're um because they're technically a minor or like very heavily alluded to as a minor within the story, they're actually making coffee and other non-alcoholic beverages. Um, I like the idea then, of a dungeon builder. That sounds almost like Mario Maker, where it's like challenge your friends, but you got to prove you can beat it first or whatever. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what options there'll be for these different kinds of dungeons, but I might try it out. Um, other than that, there is another character that was revealed right before the 2.5 live stream, which is Kamisato Ayoto, um, which is Ayaka's brother, who has been mentioned in story before, but not actually revealed. People were really, really excited for him, you know, because they were assuming that he'd be a hot anime man. <laughs> and I guess he, I guess he counts, but like people also made lots of fan art before, like of what they assumed he, of what they thought he might look like before he came out. So I suppose that means he's coming at some point in the near future. Wait, did did they reveal what he does look like, or no? Oh no, they did. It's his first face reveal. Oh okay. Were people correct? <laughs> were they in the right ballpark? I mean, I thought he looked good, but some of my friends were like, "I thought he'd be hotter," and I'm like. <laughs> I th- but to be fair, I think I asked people, like, really, then who is the hottest Genshin Impact man? And most people are like, Zhongli. <laughs> it's Ito, man. You forgot uh, about the abs. I was, like, I was like, should I ask Chow what his opinion is? You forgot Zhongli. about the abs, and he's also the guy that's voiced by TM Revolution. How can you forget about him? <laughs> I don't know, man. I guess people were just, they just really, there's just something about the Geo Archon. Maybe it's the godly presence. <laughs> Everyone just loves the Geo Archon and Genshin because he is completely out of touch with reality. Because this guy basically tried to fake his own death. And after he faked his own death, he realized he doesn't have any money. So everyone just loves <laughs> this dude about this guy. Because he is just <laughs> doesn't know anything about life. It's like, I don't have any money. Child, can I have more money? <laughs> but anyways, yeah, uh... What's kind of funny about this kind of patch that's upcoming is all this content was leaked before during 1.5 because this new area they're exploring is called the chasm, right? And during those leaks, they said the chasm is going to be coming in 1.7, so maybe that leak content's finally coming now. I guess it's like you know the leaks in this commuter are actually pretty good. A lot of the time, they turn lots of them turn out be, to be true. So I guess I'm not surprised, but now it's official information. So now people don't need to say that it's allegedly, apparently, claimed to be happening. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to talk about leaks too much. A lot of a lot of sites got canceled or deleted because of talking about leaks. So, oof. Well, well. So it might be possible that they were in, in planning to implement some of the starter stuff earlier, but they had a shift in the story progression or the progression of the. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. I don't I'm not as familiar with the game. But it, or maybe it's, po- maybe it's possible Sorry. that it was just like took that long for them to to like they had some of the pre-planning stages done that far in advance. How 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 long ago was like one point five? That's like almost like a year ago, I think. Uh, when I say Genshin Impact one point five update details, it's like yeah, April of last year or so. Is when those first came started coming out, so almost a year, almost yeah. a year. Let's see, yeah, ten months. I like my assumption with this game is they never expected to blow up as they expected, so they're probably like scrambling for development after that. So 
That's mm-hmm. kind of like my assumption with the game. So yeah, a well, lot yeah. of little kind of a little little games coming out in that like mid February range. We've got uh, we've got the Genshin Impact update. We've got Shadow Madness on PC and a new Voice of Cards game. Like three days in a row, fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth. Uh, I not guess I'll mention, be playing Shadow Mouse. Not to mention uh, Horizon uh, Forbidden West comes out on the 18th, isn't it? It's like, not just so many games coming out soon. And that, oh, yeah. And then after that, it's Elden Ring, isn't it? Yep. Elden Ring is yep. on the 25th. So it's like, man, like this is probably like the last chance we have to have a break from new games before the flood of new releases comes back. Because it's yes. once it starts again, it's just not stopping until like mid the middle of April. Yeah, I feel kind of bad because I feel like we're a little bit spinning our wheels here. Like Pokemon Arceus, I think, is a game that's worthy of talking about a bit. But it's a little bit like, all right, enjoy the breather while we have it because we're going to be underwater uh, in not too long. But speaking about Horizon, I didn't realize, like, I knew it was that close, but I didn't, like, I t- observe that it was that close, that it, we'd be talking about it in potentially two weeks. Who is, are we covering, nope. is someone covering that on our site, Adam? Yeah, yeah. Quinton is. Oh, cool. So he, I don't think this podcast time works hey. with them. Uh, yeah, them. So uh, we will, I, I'm sure I'll get to it at some point. I don't know when the PC release is going to come out or whatever, but that is another one that we will certainly be discussing if uh, we have. Wait a second. Brian, don't you own a PS5? I do. I suppose that's an option. I haven't turned it on since uh, playing the the Yuffie DLC. But yes, that is an option. Oh god, that's that's been a while then. Mm-hmm. You could find anything to play for your PS5? Uh, I get what what else what, uh, part of me is like what else has there been? I don't know. Have you put well uh have you played the Demon Souls remake yet? No. That's that's a good one. Uh, Especially since Elden Ring's coming out, like get that off your backlog or something. No, that is a good one. I'll have to pencil that in and fit it in somehow. Adam, I'm surprised for this next news bit that we're still getting news updates for Sword on Sword, Sword Art Online Alitization the Chorus. They are still adding DLC to this game? Yeah, I guess. So okay. they announced... So Sword Art Online came out in like summer 2020. So it's been a while. More than a year. It had a lot of free DLC that like each... There's there was like four DLC stories that each centers on a different character. And then they had like a paid expansion last year. And that seemed like that was gonna be it. Like, all right, there's four free D, there's four free story DLCs and then a paid one. But then they just kind of revealed kind of nonchalantly, hey, we're gonna have four more free DLCs, each on a new on a different character. So those are coming at some point. They didn't announce when. Uh so if you're a Sword Art Online fan, there's more for the most recent Sword Art Online game, which is Alicization Lycoris. Lycoris, how you pronounce it? Um, so the four upcoming stories yeah. are based on Asana, Ranya, Leafa, and Lisbeth. I actually know two of those, which I'm actually kind of, I don't know if I should be surprised or upset. I know who Asana and Leafa are. I don't know the other two. I wonder if this is going to be like uh, Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2, where it still gets DLC five years later. It's like yep. maybe they weren't originally planning for this to be like a platform lifestyle game, but they're like, huh, we've got this and Sword Art Online has a big fan base. We'll just keep updating this and people will keep coming back. So, yeah, no new details. The uh, the paid uh, offering that Adam mentioned called Blooming of Forget-Me-Not was released last November. Um, throughout the last year was the previous four free storylines. And we've got 
details on the upcoming four about those four characters I mentioned, but no, no timing on those. So I'm guessing they'll just drop in periodically throughout the year. All right, we'll start wrapping this podcast up with our usual end slate of kind of sales announcements and new release dates. Uh, the sales announcements here are uh, the first couple are both based on Pokemon numbers. Surprise that we got new numbers for Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. They are now based on the Nintendo's quarter three of the fiscal year's results at nearly 14 million combined. So I guess. Fun fact. Um the numbers they released puts it within like half a million from being the best selling uh, remakes in the Pokemon series. So like <laughs> considering that this data is like a month old, basically already the best selling remake. And there's a pretty high chance that Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl are going to end up outselling the original Diamond and Pearl, which would be a first for the series ever. Prefer a remake to sell the outsell the original, you mean? Yep. And the last time we had an update was uh, they sold six million within their first week, and now thirteen point nine seven million as of the uh, the posting of these financial results. As of December thirty first, end of the quarter. Right. So it's been it's been over a month since then. Yeah, that that's pretty typical for financial results. Is they come out like a month after. Like whenever you read data that comes from a financial result, it's basically like from a month ago because it takes a while to like tabulate everything. For comparison of the mainline game on Switch, uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield are at 24 million. So it's still quite a ways behind those, but engaged with the, the other remakes. It has also outsold uh, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee. Or no, not quite yet. It's almost at uh, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee, which is at 14.33 million. Uh, one thing that's kind of neat is that uh, Sword and Shield, with the most recent uh, sales update, have uh, officially outsold Pokemon Gold and Silver, making them the two most, well, the second most, um, not really profitable. Pro- it's probably a bit different since it's like the higher base price, but it's like it's the second best selling entry in the series behind the original Red, Blue, and Green. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty insane. See and then, people were complaining about the remakes. <laughs> uh, Brilliant Diamond Shine Pearl? I mean, I, well, I did the review for us, so I mean, you can just read what I had to say. It's like, it they're fine, but when people, like, grew up, like, playing Generation 4 and seeing the remakes that Generation 1 got, which had, like, massive additions to the game with, like, the Sebi Islands and, like, a ton of, like, cool, like, new features, and then Heart Gold and Soul Silver, which was similar and like really brought things up to snuff. And even like like if people had issues with Mega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, it's still like really totally reimagined parts of those original games. And then you see Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, which is so safe, sticking close, yeah, so faithful to a fault. I can understand why some people would be disappointed about that. Now, granted, maybe those same people feel a little bit better now that Legends Arceus is out, and it's like. Well, this is a reimagining in many ways, too. It's in the same world, just completely different. And I can understand, like, in retrospect, why they might have been like, let's have a faithful remake since we're doing something drastically different with Legends Arceus. But still, there were plenty of people that probably would have preferred, like, a more ambitious, like, actual remake and got one. Not to mention all the bugs and the fact that the game has some pretty terrible input lag, um, latency and stuff like that. 
Speaking of Pokemon Legends Arceus, uh, we did get its first week sales numbers. Uh, also in the 6 million range, 6.5 million copies of Pokemon Legends Arceus. I mean, which makes it the fastest selling Pokemon game ever. Really? And also make the obvious consideration that there's only one version. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, you're right. Because if I if I just said that Pokemon Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl sold 6 million across two entries and it sold 6.5 off of one, I guess that checks out. Uh, surprise, Pokemon sells. Uh and I think and it is. A, it seems like nice. it seems like Arceus trying something new, kind of roped in lapsed fans like me. Like I hadn't played Sword and Shield or whatever, and like, hey, this is something different. Let me try it. Hey, it's the and first so, Pokemon game I've. I mean, I haven't down on. I haven't played it yet, but I have bought it, so my number is there. Um, it's yeah, interesting uh, though that uh, not only is it the fastest selling Pokemon game already. But it's only a single skew, so you don't even have those weirdos that buy both copies of the game, like buffing that number up. Yep. And 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 I know that there's probably going to be some people that say I'm not a weirdo for buying both versions of a Pokemon game. I'm sorry, you are. (laughs) Well, back then you didn't have the convenience of like the online trading quite as much. You had to you had to go to a hotspot or use a link. That's what friends are for. Unless you're Back talking about your life. friends play Pokemon. Well, now you, just gotta, now you just got to get the... Uh, I, I was actually kind of bummed out when in Arceus uh, I found like the trading kiosk or whatever and it's like, you don't have Nintendo Switch online. I'm like, oh, I can't do uh, We did also get a sales update for another game that we talked about on the podcast uh, last year. And that's Blue Reflection Second Light has sold 120,000 units. Which again just kind of puts it into perspective of like the the kind of the threshold that these different uh, series are anticipated or expected to meet, because for uh, for a gust developed title, one hundred and twenty thousand is, I think, kind of pretty standard. Com- the the, the rise of games from last year and the year before were the ones that combined sold about a million, which ended up being like a really high watermark for for gust, and that's kind of been what their threshold is now, but blue reflection, second light doing strongly at 120,000. Uh, a couple release dates coming up. Uh, we got a release date for the new expansion for guild wars two End of dragons. We knew it was going to be February because it took them so long to announce the date. People assumed that it was probably the last day of February. Turns out to be the case. Uh, guild wars two End of dragons launches on February 28th. I will probably be playing this because I've kept up to date on this game, but I will probably not cover it because I'm just not inclined to. Uh, I will let you know if it's any good. So, wasn't this expansion somewhat unexpected that they were going to make another yes, one? Yes. So, some, I don't know how much detail to go into. Some background is that ArenaNet, the developers of Guild Wars 2, were trying to make some other game, and people actually found on some ex employees like art stations and things like that, a lot of media for like a Dune game or things like that, or a sci-fi MMO. And basically none of it was ever officially announced and it was all apparently canceled. And they're like, shit, what do we have? Well, we have Guild Wars 2. We should probably support that game. So they cut off the last uh, between expansion, like live service updates. And they said, we're pausing these. We're going to release the new box product next year. And that's what this is. So it's kind of like a course correction, which means it might feel a little bit rushed. It might feel a little bit half-baked. Hopefully not, but it's kind of like that's what they've got. And NCSoft is the publisher, and 
for a Western market, that's pretty much all they got because their biggest seller is Lineage, which really only does numbers in Korea. Uh, so both NCSoft and ArenaNet have a lot at stake here to hopefully have, to have this do well. Uh, but you're right that it was kind of like a course correction for them. I, I just got to ask, uh, what what about the story of this game? Is it supposed to be like like Final Fantasy where there's like a liner story going through? It, and... it, it is linear. Like it's not like it's not like Elder Scrolls Online where. My, we talked about this last podcast, uh, where each story is kind of self-contained within each expansion. It is the the first expansion leads to the second, leads to the third. Um, my understanding is that there is a lot more voice acting than Final Fantasy, but just a lot less story in general. Like a lot few, a lot less to read, a lot less to play through. It's just uh, basically a, a, a Final Fantasy fourteen expansion is like half of a Guild Wars two season in terms of playtime. So it's it's a lot more brisk. It's a lot more fast paced. I see. I'm not saying that's necessarily good. I think actually it's to its detriment. It feels like it's like skin deep most of the time, or it just goes too fast. I don't know. I played it a long time ago. I, I had some good times of it, but I don't know. It just couldn't really kept my interest. But for me personally, I don't think I would touch a game from NCSoft personally. Just have like a really bad experience with like paid win shit. Didn't you play Ion? Yes. Uh, a lot of bad things happened when they got taken over by Nexon. And, you know, later on they got their company back and the game was sort of slowly coming back together but i think they already burned the bridges by then and i guess that is another one they did do the ion classic or whatever it's called in the last year yeah i was playing that but like i said i i just don't have the time for it 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 takes almost like a dedication like a full-time job in order to keep up with the game if you want to be like in the top end of the game yeah luckily for guild wars 2 that's not the case like i just kind of uh i haven't really played it seriously for like a half year now but it's the sort of game where you can kind of really play casually as like your second mmo or something like that uh we got a release date for puzzle quest 3 it will launch on march 1st for steam and mobile devices puzzle quest is one of those games that the original came out in 2007 and it was like a mix between like match 3 and like some rpg elements and it seemed to kind of like take off on like like as like a social sort of game um, so not like really in our wheelhouse, but like as sort of like a broad, casual, like anyone can sort of play it sort of game. And apparently Puzzle Quest 2, which came out mid-2010 sometime, uh, was also really well received. So I know there's like Puzzle Quest 3 is like maybe not one of the games that like people like us look forward to. But it seems like it has an audience of like of people who have played the older versions years ago. And they're like, oh, here's another one. And free to play might suit that need um, as just a game you could just download and play. It's for mobile devices and PC. Um, I don't really know much about it, but uh, it seems like one of those games that's sort of a, you know, it's, time it's waster, puzzly RPG sort of thing. It's probably like deceptively popular. Like, did you know millions of people play this? Like, oh. <laughs> mm hmm. And the final release date that we got is we got an announcement for a Nintendo Switch release for the Neptunia Cross Senran Kagura Ninja Wars crossover game. So this came out late last year in both Japan and the West. Uh, we did put up a review f- uh, on the site for it from Nathan. Uh, it will release on Switch on April 19th in North America and April 22nd in Europe. And this is, I think, something yeah, so that- it came out on PS4 last year, now on Switch. There is a PC version as well. No date. 
Oh, so the PC version is also like so. We'll be, we'll be coming back to this game. It's coming, podcast, but no date. Where we'll announce a PC release right. date. Yeah, Idea Factory does that sometimes, where they Stagger like eventually releases. their games release on multiple platforms. But I guess sometimes they just don't. I don't know if it's just in terms of like what they are capable of doing, or if it's actually like strategic in any way. But they oftentimes stagger their releases, um, like one console and the next later. And in uh, Nathan's glowing review for the game, he said it's a decent action game without a lot of depth, but its simplicity allows it to be fun in small bursts. Which hey, what I think is what people just... want from those games. Well, yeah. I was going to say maybe that's what's well suited for a Switch release. And that kind of covers this for uh, for news this week. So a little bit of li- a little bit of light on the news front for the podcast. Uh, a lot of us are still just playing through Arceus, and between this week and last week, you've got seventy to eighty minutes of us discussing our feelings on that game and. We do also have all the guides coming up and a pending review, which will be uh, up on the site uh, once we have our final thoughts kind of fully filled out on those. So hopefully you've enjoyed listening to that. And as James alluded to earlier, we've got a lot in the pipeline to look forward to, including some games that we mentioned kind of slyly, coyly, are under embargo that we might get a chance to talk about in a week or so. You can see all of the uh, guides features and the preview for the uh ghostwire tokyo that i mentioned up on the site at rpgsite.net you can follow us on all the social media platforms on twitter facebook instagram and youtube up at rpg site and we will be back next week with another episode of this podcast as we seemingly are every week so until next time stay safe take care and we'll talk to you then